Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, you will hear from experts in myelodysplastic syndromes who discuss the role of the innate immune system in MDS and further comment on how the immune system may be honed to treat this disease. First, you will hear from Raphael Behar, Rashmi Kanagar Shamana, and David Salman, who discuss the role of chronic inflammation in MDS. So chronic inflammation has become tied together very closely with clonal hematopoiesis in general, not just in MDS or MPNs, but even in patients with these precursor conditions. And what we think is happening is that some of the clones that develop typical mutations are actually pro-inflammatory, or at least their progeny have a hyper-inflammatory state where they release cytokines that change the environment in which the stem cells live and perhaps gives them a selective advantage. In other words, these cells that not only create this inflammatory environment, they also prefer that environment and thrive in it compared to the normal counterparts. So that could be one mechanism for the clonal expansion of these clonal hematopoiesis clones. Now, when a patient develops MDS, it's typically characterized by cytopenias, usually anemia, and we know, have known for a long time that chronic inflammation can suppress normal bone marrow function. So we have now begun to learn that patients who have lower risk MDS in particular tend to have higher markers of NLRP3 activation, which is an inflammasome that leads to increased inflammatory signaling through IL-1 beta, IL-6, and others. And that by itself may be driving down erythropoiesis and causing anemia. So imagine if we could target just the inflammatory portion of that disorder, even if we don't affect the clonal portion of it at all, we might already improve the anemia that these patients experience without having to give a cytotoxic therapy or something else like we do for the higher risk patients. So there's a lot of investigation into modulating the innate immune system through either NLRP3 inhibition or IRAC inhibition or other potential targets that could significantly change the severity of disease that patients have and avoid more toxic therapies that they might have to get otherwise. Chronic inflammation is kind of integral to MDS. So, so it's been known for a while that uh, chronic inflammation, low-grade inflammation, sterile chronic inflammation happens in myelodysplastic syndrome. It's been known for, for quite a while, but only in the past few years, uh, it's kind of come to attention enough that there are now therapeutic approaches that are in development targeting these. Uh, in fact, chronic inflammation is not only a stigmata of MDS, but it's also uh, the same for clonal, for CHIP or uh, clonal hematopoiesis, uh, and also for um, aging. So, so it's all like kind of interrelated. They call it the inflammaging. And um, I think uh, uh, the Vexus syndrome that, that's a recently discovered uh, syndrome that links the autoimmunity with the uh, myelodysplastic syndrome, and the UBA1 mutation, it's kind of a prototypic example of how integral chronic inflammation is. So we have, so the biology of MDS, it's multifactorial. So you have the hematopoietic stem cell, uh, stem cells and progenitor cells. These are abnormal because of the mutation, right, clonal uh, cells. And then you have the uh, bone marrow microenvironment that has the macrophages, T cells, or important components of inflammation, the myeloid-derived suppressor cells that play an important role in supporting these abnormal hematopoietic cell uh, survival. 
And then, of course, the pro-inflammatory environment. Uh, it's uh, multiple evidence out there showing that the uh, innate immune system, the toll-like receptors are activated in MDS, and that kind of triggers the um, uh, downstream after CD33 binding, the IRAX, uh, further down the NLRP3 inflammasome, uh, that kind of uh, links all these uh, the mutations with the bone marrow environment and the inflammation all together, uh, resulting in an, a phenotype of myelodysplastic syndrome leading to cytopenias. And I think the inflammation uh, is the I think this this kind of integrated uh, approach is the one that kind of explains why uh, patients with different mutations, uh, different uh, mechanisms, all boil down to the same phenotype of cytopenias that's uh, typical for MDS. Data supporting you know inflammation and MDS actually go back a long time. Actually, I'd say over the past couple um, couple of decades. So first, there's a lot of work um, where inflammation, and so there are what are known as damage-associated molecular patterns, which can trigger what is called toll-like receptor signaling, and actually is a direct driver of MDS pathogenesis. I think there was then sort of some parallel development. There's an inflammatory cell death known as pyroptosis that ultimately um, triggers what is called NLRP3 activation, caspase-1 activation, and again, this inflammatory cell death where you get enumeration of pro-inflammatory cytokines such as interleukin-1-beta and um, IL-18 as, 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 among others and kind of a feed-forward pathway based on mutations, very clearly as a central driver of MDS pathogenesis. And I think this has really been elucidated really over the past um, you know, four or five years of time. And there's a lot of crosstalk between um, pure inflammation, this inflammatory cell death, um, et cetera. And so I think what we know is this is most relevant for lower risk MDS patients. Um, probably once patients are higher risk, they're more um, cell death pathways, cell survival pathways, somewhat similar to AML patients that become more relevant. So the hope is now that we understand that this is really central to lower risk MDS patients, can we actually develop disease modifying therapy? Currently, we have none for lower-risk MDS, meaning we can't pre prevent progression to AML. No study has shown to improve overall survival. We've really tried to get away from hypomethylating agent therapy for lower risk. So I think there's a lot of interesting concepts targeting this group of patients. There's some studies, for example, we have investigator initiated a study of canakinumab, which is an interleukin-1 beta inhibitor. Um, there's some other combinations with that agent. There are NLRP3 trials that are entering the clinic as we speak, which I think may be the most exciting target in uh, sort of lower risk MDS. And then the IRACs, which really go through this more inflammation signaling. There um, is an agent um, uh, ongoing CA4948, um, which does have a real name uh, that um, has been looked more in high-risk MDS and AML, but I think actually low-risk may be exciting. Um, I believe Dr. Platzbecker in Germany um, has a study that does include lower-risk patients. And there are some drugs that can inhibit both IRAC14 and LNRP3. I think those would be important. My only concern is, as we're single-targeting different um, steps in these pathways, is there may be, you know, um, you may these cells may be able to overcome it. So you inhibit NLRP3, but IRAC14 is still important or vice versa. And so I think we may have to think about novel, novel combinations um, to really move the field forward and hopefully, you know, performing the right translations. But I think the bottom line, very key paramount to MDS pathogenesis, and I think is really the most exciting group of targets for novel therapeutic development uh, in lower risk MDS. 
Next, the experts highlight the important role of immune system activation in MDS. You know, the innate immune system is active in MDS. And we think that the innate immune system may contribute to some of the cytopenias that we observe in chronic inflammation, high levels of hepcidin are long known to have decreases on, in erythroid function and erythroid uh, generation. So if these disorders, the clonal changes that give rise to MDS are actually responsible for the, some of this inflammatory background, being able to shut that inflammatory background might blunt some of the consequences of having MDS. And it may not be true in every patient, and it may not be true necessarily in patients with higher risk MDS that may have more cell autonomous effects driving their disease, but in some lower risk patients that, that may be a good way to address it. We've recently learned about a, another diagnosis, uh, a syndrome called VEXAS, V-E-X-A-S, that is an auto-inflammatory syndrome that's associated with a somatic mutation in an X-linked gene called UBA1. And the reason that this is really interesting is because these patients have a high propensity of getting MDS. And in fact, some patients are diagnosed with MDS before they're diagnosed with this auto-inflammatory disorder. So clearly there's a connection between this inflammatory signaling and this clonal expansion of these, of these uh, cells that go on to become myeloid malignancies. That's giving us some insight in some extreme cases about what may be going on more commonly in other cases as well. So as I mentioned, innate immune system activation uh, plays an important, it's, it's an important integral part of MDS, a very important component. And I think uh, there are novel therapies that are targeting the entire immune activation pathways at different levels. So if you look at the, uh, so the hematopoietic cells are abnormal, and they are kind of the T TLRs, the toll-like receptors, is activated on the hematopoietic cells. Uh, that's kind of triggered by these what we call pattern uh, receptors, like the PAMPs and the DAMPs, and they trigger downstream to the IRAC pathways and uh, to the NLRP3, triggering the pyroptosis and um, cell death. And there's also activation uh, on the other. Uh, further down the IRAX leads to uh, the IL-1 activation. So I think uh, you can target it at multiple levels. Uh, the anti-CD33, you could, uh, as it starts off with that, the, uh, the uh, transforming growth factor beta is also an important NF-kappa B pathway too. There are several therapeutic agents that are targeting those. The IL-1 targeting the canacunumab uh, that targets the IL-1 very important and I think um, uh, I think the whole variety of uh, clinical trials that are exploring these would be vital especially for a low-risk MDS. Lastly, David Salmon shares his thoughts on how understanding the innate immune system and its role in MDS may lead to therapeutic opportunities for patients. I think everything that we described, again, these inflammatory, you know, cell death pathways, again, are really key in low-risk MDS. They're still active in high risk, but if you look at, for example, the magnitude of activation of many of these IL-1 beta levels, NLRP3 activation, caspase-1 activation, they're all dramatically higher in low-risk MDS versus um, higher-risk MDS. Again, I think higher-risk MDS, you know, you're really going to have to fall on novel HMA combinations, venetoclax, again, targeting, you know, BCL2, et cetera. Uh, and again, somewhat shares more um, maybe pathophysiology, even with AML patients. And I think that 
even goes to now this sort of MDS AML category of 10 to 19% blast, because for many molecular subsets, there's a high degree of overlap uh, between those group of uh, group of patients. I think the one thing to you know maybe comment on is maybe to go the other way. So I think we know that there is this pre-MDS state of CHIP or clonal hematopoiesis or CCUS, which is clonal, clonal cytopenia of undetermined significance. And we know some patients are high risk. So if they have multiple mutations, high allele frequency of mutations, um, these patients actually have a pretty high uh, frequency of ultimately developing disease. And there's already data supporting that these in inflammatory pathways are quite. So probably the CCUS overlaps more with the low-risk MDS. And could we think about these strategies? So for example, Dr. Barate at OHSU um, does have a trial with that canakinumab agent specifically for high-risk CCUS. Um, uh, Dr. Zoe Zia, my institution, has some interesting concepts for tattoo mutant patients, for example, with IV vitamin C and then maybe some other combinations that may go into this inflammatory path. So I think that group, I would think CCUS and low-risk MDS, I think high-risk, really think about these HMA combinations. And although these may be important, I, I think have less likelihood of having real clinical benefit in, in the, in the high-risk setting. Obviously, we've talked somewhat about megrolimab. Now, there's a whole group of anti-CD47 agents. I think there's, last time I looked, 15 in clinical trial development and many in the preclinical development. You know, those ultimately lead to activation of macrophages, which are one of the key innate cell um, effectors. And again, most of the trials right now have been high risk. There is a cohort of patients with lower risk patients. And Again, if we have synergy with high risk, why not in low risk? Um, whether or not there's differential impact of, of, of macrophage activation and phagocytosis in low risk versus high risk, I actually think is a, an unknown question right now. Um, there are other immune cell effectors, natural killer cells, um, that may also, you know, have a role. And there are NK therapies, although these are really being looked at predominantly in the AML setting or maybe high-risk MDS um, AML setting. And I think the key is, is that there's a lot of changes that happens both not just with the innate immune system, but with the adaptive immune system, and then they go together. So if you get increased, um, you know, macrophage or dendritic cell and an increase antigen presentation that may activate the adaptive immune system. So what does one may impact the other? I think what we really need to see, and I think this is most relevant to these combinations like megrolimab, sabatolimab, and others, is what's truly happening in the immune microenvironment in our patients. And so what is just patients getting a remission and what is unique from the combination? And I think because today we've only had single arm trials, we, we're not able to answer this, but I think the key translationals in some of these phase threes where we have an azocytidine control arm is, can we see unique differences even early on? Can we predict which patients may have not only just a response, but the best duration of response? And again, what is actually happening in that immune microenvironment for patients on treatment? Venetoclax has potentially a lot of interesting um, abilities to augment adaptive immunity, um, which I think was kind of unique um, revelation over this sort of past year. And so I think a lot to answer, but really hopefully can have the right translational objectives um, in some of these phase three trials. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Hemonk and subscribe to VJ Hemonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple, and Podbean. Until next time.